As JT was saying, uh, I'm kicking off a series on 1 John, and <clears throat> my hunch is that many of you would be more familiar with some of the uh, different verses found in 1 John, more familiar with those than you would be with the actual, uh, the overall book. Part of the reason why we're not as familiar with 1 John is because it's, it's a little book, and it's so quick to go zipping right by it on your way to Revelation. Uh, another reason is it's, uh, it may be short, but it is a confusing little book, if you've ever tried to read it, chapters one through five, it's quite confusing. And one of the reasons why it's confusing is because um, compared to the other epistles, the other letters written by Peter and Paul, this one is written with a very different style. Uh, the books that, or the letters that Peter and, and Paul have written, Galatians, Ephesians, first, second Peter, they're written in what's called a linear form. And uh, basically that means chapter one, here's what's going on. Chapter two, now we're addressing that. Chapter three, now we're building on what we just said. And there's this, there's this really natural idea flow all through the letter. Well, uh, 1 John is not written in a linear form. It's written more in what's called a, a circular form, which means that as John's writing this letter, he's introducing ideas, and as he's writing, he's sort of looping back randomly through that circle, touching on the, on the different themes of his letter, and that makes it quite confusing. So as we kick off this series, it's gonna be a four-week series, uh, it's not gonna be, today I'll do chapter one, next week JT will do chapter two, it's not gonna be that way. This one, rather, will be more of a, uh, each weekend, we're gonna lay the book of 1 John out, five chapters, and then depending on the theme that we're addressing, we'll jump around uh, this little book. Uh, the author of the book is John, um, uh, John the Disciple, one of the 12. This book was written, uh, probably one of the later written books in the New Testament, around 80 uh, or 90 AD. Um, it was uh, one of five books that John has written. He's written... Uh, Gospel of John. He wrote five books, Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then uh, uh, Revelation, of course. And I think this is helpful. I've got a, a little picture uh, that I find helpful, and I hope it's helpful for you uh, in, in understanding sort of the purpose of 1st John. So John wrote the Gospel of John, and if you remember the series we did, the Gospel of John, he says that he wrote that Gospel so that we might Believe, 10 points, so that we might believe. And in a sense, I look at the Gospel of John where, where he you know, tells all the stories of Jesus, uh, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and, and it was written so that a person would read it, look at it, and make a decision to believe in Jesus. And I look at the Gospel of John like a plane taking off. Someone decides, I do believe in Jesus, and the plane takes off. And then let's jump to the end. Then the plane lands over here in Revelation. And Revelation, you're familiar, it's the last book in the Bible, but it's all, it's end times, and, and uh, it's, it's where this is all going. Well, when we look at 1 John, and, and the, in a lesser way, 2nd uh, and 3rd John, 1 John is between takeoff and landing. And so in many ways, 1 John addresses like in-flight instructions, if you will. And that's helpful because uh, what John has written in this little letter uh, is really important because the people he's writing to they are experiencing some pretty major turbulence. Uh, they, um, it's been like 50 or 60 years since Jesus walked the earth, and, uh, and I wonder, thinking about that, if these people that John is writing to, if they are not uh, experiencing some, some struggles in this way, things aren't turning out the way they thought they would. 
things aren't going the way they thought they would. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, it would have been, a, you know, when John's writing this letter, it would have been like 50 years previous that John and the disciples and a bunch of other followers were standing out in a field looking up into the air, if you're familiar with the story, when Jesus is ascending back into heaven. I mean, they're standing there watching him go up, and he's going up and up and up, and they're looking up into the sky, and a couple angels show up and say this to them. Acts 1.11 says this. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I totally wouldn't blame those people. I would have done this myself. If I'd been there that day, I'd heard what the angels said. I would have walked away from that experience going, awesome. I'm going to get to see Jesus come back. Because isn't that what the angels said? And suddenly, you know, they embark on their newfound faith. Jesus has given them a mission, and they head off with gusto. You know, he's coming back. We only got so much time. Let's do this thing. And now 50 or 60 years later, most of the people that were in that field are dead. And I'm sure that they're wondering, where's Jesus? I thought he was coming back. It's like, it's like this is not the way that we thought it would go. And then added to their struggles, they are, uh, are having, they're experiencing false teachers within their church. They have leaders who have left their church and who are now uh, uh, preaching a, a different gospel than the one that they'd heard, than the one that the apostles, than the one that John had taught. And things are really confusing from them. They're questioning their beliefs. Like, we're not sure now. We're not sure what's, what's true and what's not true. And, and as I read that, I know that for us as human beings, we can so relate to that, to what they're struggling. We can relate to that kind of turbulence. Because I, I was thinking as I was prepping this week, it would be great, and we will, do a series called Waiting. Because isn't that so much of life? Waiting. And it may not be so much waiting for Jesus' return, although that that's awesome. I, you know, I, it'd be cool to be here when he returns. But it's more waiting for his activity in different situations. Like you look at your life and you've been walking with Jesus and, and you're like, I thought it would be different by now. I thought I would be different by now. I thought different situations in, 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 in family, health, business, like just all the stuff of life, I thought it would, things would have changed more by now. It's in a place like that uh, uh, that you and I are so vulnerable and prone to start questioning our beliefs, to start questioning God. And it's really what we see going on in 1 John. And one of, the, one of the upsides of turbulence or one of the upsides of struggle is that it really does bring us back to the basics. If I'm on a plane, and, and the, which happens to me so often, the little screen in front of me doesn't work, and uh, suddenly that doesn't matter when blah, 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 you know, you're shaking. I don't care. I'm just glad I've got a seat belt and a seat. It brings you back to, to, uh, to basics. And, it's, and that's really the goal of this series. We've called it, we're calling it Real Life. In this series, we're going to be looking at four themes of the Christian life, four themes that will bring us back to basics. So let's pray, and then uh, I'll jump into First John. So Lord, thank you for uh, your presence here um, I thank you that you know everybody in this room. I thank you that there is nothing hidden from your eyes. And, and that's a good thing. We can relax in that. I thank you that you love us, you're for us. And I pray today, Lord, you, I, you, know, you know what I'm gonna say, but I pray that uh, way beyond what I say, that you would come, Jesus, and walk among us. Lord, just come 
come be personal with each one. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, uh, 1 John, again, it's like, I think it's like two or three books then to the left of Revelation. Chapter one, 1 John one, verse one says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. Okay, so uh, uh, John's writing to a group of Christians. Again, they're experiencing uh, turbulence in their faith, and we don't know exactly who these people were. Uh, many uh, of commentaries would say it was a, a small church in the ancient city of Ephesus, but we don't really know. I don't think it really matters. What's really important, though, to point out is that John uh, had a real a warm relationship with this church. It just shows that there's been, there's been a lot of interaction with them. And a little later on in 1 John, he refers to them as my dear children. There's a great fondness that John has for them. And, and so knowing that his dear children are struggling in their faith and questioning their beliefs, knowing that some of their leaders, I mean, think about this. Think about our context. Some of their leaders, people they knew, people they trusted, people they, uh, they followed have now left their church community and in a sense, they've gone across the street, opened up another church, and now they're, they're preaching a very different gospel from the one that they originally heard from the apostles. And one of the things that they're teaching, one of the lies, is they're saying that Jesus was not the Son of God. And so the, the first theme we're going to look at uh, today is the real Jesus, the theme of the real Jesus. And so number one in your notes is the real Jesus is the cornerstone, the cornerstone, Okay? So it's interesting to me that when John uh, starts his letter that he doesn't start off by uh, condemning, you know, going after the false teachers. You guys, you better watch out, I'm coming your way. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't address that. He doesn't start his letter by saying, let me run you back through the basics of the good news that we taught you. Many, like, he doesn't you know, hit the details. It's interesting to me that the first thing John does, knowing the situation, is he starts off his letter by focusing right in on Jesus. And he, and he does it in a very unique way. He does it not just in theory, not just information about Jesus. He focuses on Jesus with very sensory, very eyewitness language. He, he starts the letter with this. You know, he starts off by saying, don't forget, you guys. Don't forget, says John, that we knew Jesus. Don't forget that we, I mean, we walked with him, we talked with him, our ears, we heard Jesus, we heard all his words, we heard him talk about the kingdom of God, we heard him, you know, uh, talk about love, talk about life, and uh, we saw him with our own eyes, we, we saw him do all the crazy miracles, I was standing right there when he prayed and broke the little boy's lunch up and fed 5,000 people, don't, I mean, don't forget that we, we saw with our own eyes, we watched the way Jesus loved people. We watched the ways he went after the people nobody else would go after, touched the people nobody else would touch. I mean, we saw that with our own eyes, and I love when he says, and we not only knew him, we have touched him. 
That's how much we know him. We have touched Jesus. And so he starts it off by basically saying, Jesus has appeared to us, the real Jesus. We've seen him, and that is what we testified to you. And when John says we, uh, he's referring to him and, and the other disciples. Uh, and, and remember John, the one writing this, as he's sitting there, and now he's an old man, and he's thinking back to you know, all his days with his, his fellow disciples walking with Jesus. And remember that the guy writing this is the guy who referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, what a thing to say. I mean, it's true. That's true about all of us here. You, you know, you're the disciple Jesus loves. But there's something about John. I, I can't wait to get to heaven to go for a walk and say, so when you said that, what did the other disciples say to you? I mean, how did they take that? But I love that about John. It says something about the relationship we have with Jesus. This is the guy, the guy that wrote this little book, is the, is the one who in the Last Supper, as they're eating dinner, what's he doing? He's sitting right by Jesus, leaning back against his chest. I mean, I'm, I doubt that's the first time he did that. He didn't know, hey, it's the Last Supper. I better pick get my chance to sit. I'm sure that was normal for John. So this guy knew Jesus, but he understands that the people he's writing to who are struggling, they've never met Jesus. They've never met Jesus the way that John and the other disciples had. So he starts his letter by reminding them that he knew the real Jesus and that it was through his testimony, through his testimony and that of the other disciples that these people came to faith, came to believe to Jesus in the, believe in Jesus in the first place. So Ephesians 2.19 says this, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now, in the Bible, there's lots of different descriptions of, of us, of the church. Sometimes we're described as a family. Sometimes we're described... Uh, as a, as a body, and what we see in Ephesians is we're described as a house. That is, people you know, say yes to Jesus, say, I believe in you, Jesus, that they're added to this house, this massive house of God, if you will. And, uh, and, and in this house, Jesus is the cornerstone. And cornerstone isn't a word that we use a lot. I mean, I grew up in the church, and as a little boy, I heard, learned about the cornerstone, and, but it's an architectural term and here's a, here's a helpful definition of, of just what the cornerstone is and what its purpose is. The cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. It's important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. I mean, think about that definition when you think about Jesus. Right? Jesus is the cornerstone, and John's saying to him, hey, I'm sorry it's, you're going through a hard time. I'm sorry that you're, you know, your faith is being rattled, but remember, remember what your faith is built on. Your faith isn't built on circumstances. Your faith isn't built on your performance. Your faith isn't built on your leaders. Right? Your faith is built on a real person, Jesus who we know, who we've seen, who we've walked with. And, and the thing that makes your faith strong, it's not the amount of your faith, but it's what your faith is built on. And he's saying to them, remember that your faith is built on Jesus, the cornerstone. And so as they're hearing that, you know, maybe they said, and this is where my mind goes, well, that's nice, John. 
Uh, but how does that impact us now 50 or 60 years removed from that? Right? Or how does that impact us today? And what I mean is, you know, John, you were an eyewitness. I can understand how that would be meaningful to you. That would be impactful to you and your, how you experienced Jesus. But we weren't there. So how do we get connected with the cornerstone? Or how do we now get built onto the cornerstone? And, and, I, and I find this so interesting. The Bible, the Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. Right? And there's another passage that says that Jesus is the word, the words of God that has now become flesh. It's almost like you open your Bible and whoop, Jesus steps out of your Bible. And it's like you want to, you want to answer any question about what God's like and how God acts and you look at Jesus. Jesus is, is the answer. Is the word become flesh? And it says that the word of God is living and active. It's why we sing there is power in the name of Jesus. Right? The, the, the name of, there's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the story of Jesus. So how would John have answered, or how did John answer their question or our question about, okay, so how do we, now removed from that time when Jesus was here, how do we get connected? And John may have said something like this. Okay, remember you guys, God revealed himself in person to us, the disciples. We knew him. And then the way that future generations get in on the same relationship with Jesus it's when we, the disciples, start now turn to you and started telling you what we witnessed. So what I mean is, it's through words. Not just any words, though, it's through the story of Jesus, it's through their testimony. That person after person after person, through generation to generation to generation, heard the truth of who Jesus is. And there's power in the truth of who Jesus is. And as they believed in that, they were more stones added to God's house. Does that make sense? <laughs> that's not very encouraging, but I'll keep going. I'll just act like everyone was like, that's awesome. When are you going to write a book about that? I'm working on it as we speak. But so 1 John 1 to 3 says, or 1 verse 3 says this, we proclaim to you, this is John, we proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard uh, so that you also may have fellowship, fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What's he saying there? He's just saying, look, what we saw, we told you and through us telling you and through you hearing it and believing it, you joined the fellowship. You joined the family. Or Ephesians 2.20, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Built on the foundation, there's the cornerstone and the foundation of, of the apostles and prophets. And what is, what's, what is the foundation? I mean, what was the role of the prophets and the apostles? Basically, the role of the prophets all throughout the Old Testament, their role was to say, hey, he's coming. Who's coming? Hope is coming. Salvation is coming. Deliverance is coming. Freedom is coming. Jesus is coming. That's what the prophets said. That was their testimony. And then the testimony of the, of the apostles was different than that. They didn't say, hey, he's coming. What the apostles said is, hey, he's here. Jesus is here. Salvation is here. The answer is here. Hope is here. Life is here. And this house grows stone by stone again as people hear the story of Jesus the witness of the apostles, the witness of you and I, our story. Do you realize that your story, as small or as simple as you may think it is, and what I mean by your story is how you came to know Jesus, do you realize that what you carry within your heart is the very thing that God wants to use to help other people get joined into his house, to get built in? 
Like, do you realize what it is that you carry within you? I, I have been, uh, I'm a talker, that's obvious. I love, one of the things I love to do is I just love talking to random people. Like, just connecting with people. And I, who's like that? I mean, who, you just love, you go to the store, you have a conversation, and you're like, it just puts some, some wind in your sail, right? Okay, that's not very many people. So I must really frustrate a lot of you. But okay, man, this is falling apart. But so, but here's the thing that I've been realizing. I've realized that that's that's something that God has gifted me in. And and I felt like in in the last year I felt like God said, hey. I want you to start taking that little gift and I want you to start using it less for you and more for me. And what he means is, have you realized you naturally get into conversations with people? Well, yeah, I just, I just thought it was, you know, because I'm a nice guy. <laughs> he said, well, sometimes, but it's actually because I am trying to connect you to people to share your story. That you could say, well, this is who Jesus is to me. And on, on Saturday, I got my hair cut. I pulled it in the parking lot, and uh, I stopped, and I, and I said, well, Lord, uh, uh, just make it obvious. Give me an opportunity today to share my, my story. And uh, I sit down, and she starts cutting my hair, this lady, and we're talking, you know, random things, and all of a sudden, you know, and I don't even remember what got to it, all of a sudden she sort of stops and goes, boy, I haven't been sleeping well. And I'm like, well, maybe you should put the scissors down. But, but it was like... <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I haven't been sleeping well. And I said, oh, you know, uh, why is that? She said, oh, I have serious insomnia and just like lots of anxiety. And I, and I said, well, that's tough. Uh, you watching the game Sunday? No, I didn't say that. I said, when she said that, I was literally sitting in the chair because she, she said, I have so much anxiety and then she just stopped talking. And I felt like God looked at me like, like, Here's your opportunity there, uh, you know, Captain Obvious. I mean, she's literally asking for help. And so I went, suddenly I, I, I couldn't think of anything to say, which is really strange. But then I just said, you know what? I just started telling my story. I'm a worrier. And I, and I said, there's a little verse in the Bible says, where God says, hey, give all your worries to me because I love you, because I care for you. I didn't start to cry then, but I am now. But I just said, and I just said so simply, that, you know, have you ever prayed? Do you ever talk to God? Now, she didn't fall on her knees and said, I want to give my life to Jesus, but I know, I know that those words were helpful in bringing her closer to Jesus, bringing her back to be connected to Jesus, that she would, you know, uh, uh, that she would be built into the family of God, that she would be added to the house of God, that she would be added to the family tree of God. Because there's something so that we all long for, we all want to be connected, don't we? We all want to, we want to be connected to something bigger than us. And what, is, what could be greater than to be connected to the, to the cornerstone of life itself, to Jesus? And, and so that leads us to number two. Number two is the assurance. Who's the real Jesus? Jesus is the assurance. And you know, there really is an assurance in knowing, you know, whose you are, where you come from, your roots, if you will. Uh, in 2017, uh, Ancestry.com, they raked in over $800 million as people are trying to get in touch with their family trees. Get in touch with, you know, wh you know who, like, where do I come from? Who am I connected to? And, you know, I, there really is something uh, cool about, about family trees and stuff. I know most, the vast majority of my relatives 
are still in Denmark. Uh, uh, and so there's many of my relatives, I never knew them other than through stories, other than through old black and white pictures. And it was, I can remember as a kid, and even to this day when I visit my parents and they've got some pictures on the walls, I look at these people that I don't know them. I've never heard their voice, and yet to know that they're family, I feel this connection to them. There's something I draw from knowing that that's my lineage, that's my family tree. There's, a, there's, there's, a, there's identity that I draw. There's even an assurance that I draw. And I have a friend uh, back in Vancouver, she is a piano teacher, uh, um, excellent piano uh, teacher, piano player. In her piano studio on the wall, she has a picture that is mapping out her uh, musical lineage, if you will, her musical family tree. And here's, here's what, what's written on that picture. Her name is at the bottom. It says, Marlene Barch was, uh, was taught piano by Dorothy Davis, who was taught by Lyle Guston, who was taught by Jeanette Durango, who was taught by Theodore Leschetizky, I think, who was caught by, taught by Carl Zerny, who was taught by some guy named Ludwig van Beethoven. It gets better. Who was taught by Franz Joseph Haydn, who was taught by Carl P.E. Bach, phys ed, is his middle name, who was taught by Johann Sebastian Bach. And I look at that and I go, now that, <laughs> that's a musical lineage. And so I called her this week and I said, I said, what does that mean to you? What does, that, you know, what does that list mean to you? And before she could answer, her, her husband yelled out, it means she can charge a lot for music lessons. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure she can. But, but she said that, that family line, if you will, that lineage, uh, it gives her a, a, just a strong, deep sense of identity. It gives her a, you know, a, a sense of passion as a piano teacher, that I'm not just some piano teacher, I'm a piano teacher in the line uh, of Sebast Johann Sebastian Bach. And what John is saying by calling them back to, uh, to the cornerstone of Jesus, which they are now connected to through the testimony of all these people, he's saying to them, you're not just some little church. You're not just you know, some guy, some gal. You are men and women in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You're connected to the, the cornerstone to Jesus. I mean, talk about assurance. I mean, you are in the family line of family lines. You are, in the, in the, you, know, you are part of the house of God. And see, these people needed assurance. They needed to know to be assured about their connection to God, about their, you know, their, their, the relationship they had, that they've now, you know, they're part of his family. And they needed that because remember, the false teachers we're going after and spouting off this lie that, that, that Jesus was not the son of God. And around the time of John's writing this letter, there was a false teaching going around that, you know, uh, uh, that Jesus was born a man. Here's how they would sort of spin the life of Jesus. Jesus was born a man, and then uh, on the day that he was baptized, you know, he's, when he's dunked into the water, and he comes out of the water, and remember the story, the Holy Spirit comes on him. 
what these false teachers were saying, they were saying, well, when that happened, what happened was the Holy Spirit came on this man, Jesus, and gave him some special powers, which now he did, you know, some miracle, you know, the miracles and all these different things. But their, their lie was, and then when, when he went to the cross, when he's beaten and his blood is flowing down, they said, on the cross, when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? They said, now the Holy Spirit lifted off this man. Thank you very much. You did what we needed you to do. And now Jesus died as a man. Well, that would be very troubling because if Jesus was only a man, then he was not fit to be a sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says that, you know, for the forgiveness of sins, the sacrifice had to be perfect, had to be spotless. If Jesus was a man, well, he was far from flawless. If he was just a man, he was far from perfect. And you can understand how how frightening that would be because if that's the case, if what they're saying is true, then are we forgiven for our sins? Are we still at odds with God or have, through forgiveness have we been restored you know, in relationship, reconnected to him, if you will? And, and so the false teachers, what they were saying is that, uh, basically what they're saying is that the water and the blood, the water and the blood, the water of baptism and the blood that flowed, they were saying that it testified and it testified to the fact that Jesus was not the son of God. So when John addresses the false teachers, and now we're going to jump to chapter 5. He goes after this lie in a very unique way. 1 John 5, verse 5 says this. It says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So, so what does that all mean? Okay, so again, John is writing to them. They're upset. They're saying this. What's true anymore? John, John's going after the lies of the false teachers, and he's saying, he's saying, hey, you guys, it's actually the opposite. The water, you know, the water, and, and scholars would say that the water in the life of Jesus, water not only is symbolic in his baptism, but water is also very symbolic in his birth or in his conception, the water of Mary's womb. And John's saying, actually, the water the, and the blood that, uh, sorry, the water, the blood that flowed at his death and the Holy Spirit all testify that Jesus was the son of God. And so the way he, he pushes back against their lives is it, it's like he calls them now, the water, the blood, he calls them to testify, to testify that Jesus is the son of God. So I wanna sort of embellish this a bit just to, just to drive it home some more. And I wanna look at it like a courtroom scene where water and blood are being called to the stand. So imagine a, a courtroom scene and, and I say, hey, water, come on up to the stand and here comes water. And I say to water, I say, okay, water, uh, you were there. Water, tell me about the conception of Jesus. And don't worry, this is family friendly. Tell me about the conception of Jesus. And water would say, well, uh, Mary, Mary conceived, and yet she was still a virgin. Uh, uh, it was the spirit of God who planted Jesus in her womb. And, and as I'm questioning water, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're saying, water, that no man was involved in this conception? And water says, no. No man was involved at all. God is the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. Ask, there's eyewitnesses. Ask Mary. Ask Joseph. Ask Elizabeth, her cousin. Ask, ask Zachariah. Okay, water, okay. Well, then tell me about the baptism of Jesus. 
Uh, again, you were there. Okay, and water says, well, uh, you know, John the Baptist was standing in me. And Jesus comes walking in to the water and walks up to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, whoa, 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 I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, no, because you need to baptize me. And so John the Baptist lays Jesus down into the water and lifts him up, and water says, and as soon as Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens open up, and, and, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And the question, the one asking the question goes, wait a minute, the voice said, this is my son? And water says, yes. That's what the voice said. I mean, ask, you can ask John the Baptist. You can ask all the people that were there that day. They heard it. They heard the voice. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, water. You may flow down. <laughs> I was going to do costumes, but I didn't figure out how to do that. So next, so next I call blood. Again, I call blood to the stand. Okay, blood, you were there. Jesus beaten. Blood flowing. Blood, you were there. Tell us about the death of Jesus. What happened after he breathed his last? And blood says, oh, as soon as he breathed his last, uh, the sky went black, which is crazy because it was noon. And suddenly it, poof, it goes to you know, deep, dark night. And, uh, and, and after that, there's an earthquake and the ground shook. And then the, the temple and the curtain was torn in two, freaked all those guys out. And if you can believe it, when Jesus died on the cross, it says, uh, it, uh, in a graveyard in town, graves opened up and people, some people came back to life. And it's like, like asking the question, well, wait a minute, do you have any witnesses to that? And, and Blood says, well, you can ask the Roman centurion. It's documented what he said. Matthew 27, 74 says this. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Thank you very much, Blood. So the water testifies. No, he's the son of God. The blood testifies. And don't you find, as you hear those stories, doesn't something get stirred up inside you? I mean, doesn't something get stirred up inside you about, it's almost like you want to stand up and go, yes, Jesus. Like something inside you, just, you there's an excitement, there's a confidence, there's, there's an assurance that goes off inside you. And you may be here today and you may sit there thinking, I don't even believe in Jesus. Or I'm checking Jesus out. And, and you feel stirred up inside. Well, what's going on? What is that? Well, what that is, that, that assurance, that stirring you feel inside, that's the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit stirring up assurance in you. And, and remember, John called three witnesses, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Because see, here's what's cool about the stories I went through. They're cool, but we weren't there, were we? Right, we weren't there. It would have been cool to be there when Jesus was born, when he was baptized, when he was crucified, when he was resurrected. We weren't there, but the Holy Spirit was there. And he was, I mean, not more than just there, he was totally active in everything that happened. And, and part of what the, the Holy Spirit does, part of his work is to remind us that everything about Jesus is true. Part of the Holy Spirit's work is to remind us that Jesus is the Son of God, to remind us that we are his, that just by hearing the story about Jesus and believing it, that we really have been connected to that family line of God, uh, that we really are forgiven for all our sins, past and present and future. And, and you know, and it's such an amazing thing to me, that when, but when someone 
says yes to Jesus. It's such a mystery. Someone says yes to Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. That, that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of any human being who makes that decision. Romans 8, uh, 15 says, for you have not received the spirit of slavery again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. God knows you. He knows that in this lifetime, you're gonna go through, we're gonna go through a lot of turbulence. You may be going through turbulence as we speak. You know, within your family, within you, just all the stuff of life. And God, knowing that, loving us, sends the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of our lives. And, and, and on an ongoing, nonstop basis, the Holy, just keeps, Holy Spirit just keeps whispering to us, you're his, you're his. Your, your life is not built on your foundation, your life is built on his foundation. And his foundation will never fall apart. You're safe. Well, no matter how much you shake, you're safe because you are built on the cornerstone. You are built on Jesus. The Holy Spirit assures us that it's all true. So let me end off. Woo. Uh, one of the, uh, I said 1 John is a circular, written in circular form, so I started at the beginning, went to the end, now I'm gonna end off at the beginning. <clears throat> one of the main purposes of this letter was this. 1 John 1.4 says, we write this to make your joy complete. Because Jesus is the cornerstone that we're built on, because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, the consequence of that or the overflow of that is that we have joy. And so what I want to end up with is the real Jesus is he's the joy. And I love that about Jesus. I love that about what John wrote in this letter, that, you know, I'm writing this letter, uh, I'm not writing this letter just to inform you. I'm not writing this letter uh, just to you know, something you can add to your knowledge. I'm not writing this letter, you know, so that you, you know, won't mess, mess it up and make us look bad, right? I'm writing you this letter to make your joy complete, that you would be filled with joy because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done. And, and the kind of joy I'm talking about, it's very different when I'm not talking about happiness, Happiness is like this really shallow creek that goes up and down. The source of happiness is circumstance, right? I mean, hey, my team won. I'm happy. Hey, my team lost. I'm not happy. It's just up and down. The, the, what I'm talking about, this joy, this is more like the Mississippi River. Massive uh, and constant. The source of this joy is, is God who never changes. He is not fickle based on whatever's going on in the world. He's the solid rock. And listen to this. Uh, joy is consistently the mark both individually of the believer and, and, and corporately of the church. It is a quality and not simply an emotion grounded upon God himself who is the source of such joy which characterizes the Christian's life on earth and also anticipates the joy of being with Jesus forever in the kingdom of heaven. You know, uh, how do you spot a follower of Jesus? How do you spot a follower of the real Jesus? Well, basically, the Bible would say, and that little quote would say, it's through joy, that there's joy in our lives. And, and you know, just in wrapping this talk up, I was thinking of last weekend when JT kicked off his talk, if you were here, remember when he said, you know, uh, 
When they poll people, what do you think of Christians? What are the words that come to your mind first when you think of Christians? And it wasn't the most flattering, but it, the, the two words were uh, uh, hypocrites and uh, uh, judgmental. And I was thinking about that and, and thinking, you know, I think one of the reasons why Christians are that way or why we can be that way is this. Because many of us who call ourselves Christians have read the rule book, but we've never played the game. Uh, we've read the menu, but we've never had the meal. We've, we've read the bo- brochure, but we've never gone on the adventure. See, the, again, that picture of Jesus, you know, the word become flesh, of Jesus stepping out of the Bible and saying, what you're reading, here I am. You know, the, the, the joy comes from not knowing about Jesus. The joy comes from knowing him. It comes from, uh, you know, having that, that relationship with him. It comes from knowing that, that what Jesus wants for you, what Jesus wants to grow in your life is joy. It's joy. Um, listen to this so, uh, psalm, Psalm 1611, and I'm gonna switch the pronouns up a bit. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. That's the psalmist writing to Jesus. I'm gonna flip that around. Jesus, here's what Jesus wants for all of us. I wanna make known to you the path of life. I want to fill you with joy in my presence. I want to fill you with eternal pleasures at my right hand. And what I see in that is Jesus is saying, you know, when you come around me, you know what's going to rub off in you is joy. And I'm wondering today, you know, if you're here and, and you've never met Jesus, uh, if you've, you know, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I, I sort of had a picture during worship today. I had to grab a pen and write it down. I, and the thought I had is, you know, if you stood, if Jesus came into the room and came and stood right beside you, you know, what emotion would go off in you? You know, maybe it would be fear. Maybe it would be uh, guilt. Maybe it would be anger. Well, here's what the real Jesus wants you to experience, and it's joy. It's a joy that's, that's deeper than any emotion. It's a joy that, is, that uh, roots you in, in, in his lineage, that, that, you know, that, that roots you in his family line. And it's what he wants for all of us, real life. Real life is found in the real Jesus. Why don't we, why don't we stand up? Let's just quiet ourselves. Jesus, I pray <clears throat> I pray that you, uh, just like I started with, that you would come and walk among us. And I pray that you um, would be personal with each one. Lord, you know us. You know where we're at, what we're thinking, what we believe, where we're at with you. Jesus, just come. Come come close today. So I, uh, just as we end off, we always end off with an opportunity to get prayer. And if you have never started a relationship with Jesus, uh, I want to invite you, as other folks come forward in a little bit, to come on up to the front. Uh, we would love to pray for you. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is through prayer. 
Uh, um, so if that's you, I'd, I'd love for you to join us. Come on up and, and let someone pray for you. I also um, felt that there's a few groups of people. One is people that you need assurance. You need that deep assurance that only the Holy Spirit can give you. And uh, it's because there's, there's, there's turbulence in your life. And the, and the picture I had was I saw, I saw houses. I saw someone's house being shaken up. And I felt like for some of you, there's turbulence within your family, within your home. And if that's you, we would love to pray for you. Because God wants to, to bring comfort and assurance into that place. For some of you, uh, uh, there is a lack of joy in your life. And that's not a shame on you. That's a come to Jesus. Because he, he wants to realign you to, the, to, to, to knowing the real Jesus. He wants to fill you with the joy that only he can give. Also, for those, when I shared that story about, about just talking about Jesus, I've been praying for a long time that God would stir us up as a church, stir up a boldness in us that we would get increasingly confident about sharing our story. And if, if you're someone who that's a desire in you, like I do, I see the opportunities and I go, <laughs> and I don't walk into it. If that's you, we want to pray for you because I believe God is stirring up a boldness in our church to, to, uh, to share our faith. Also, if you're here today and if you're sick, in any way, we want to pray for you because we believe that God loves us and loves to bring comfort and to heal us. So uh, Olivia is going to lead us in a song. Come on up for prayer. Uh, let's make sure everyone's getting prayed for. And if you're not getting prayer or praying for someone, uh, just join in, sing along, and then I'll come back in a little bit and we'll end the service. So.